This episode of the Inside BS Show is brought to you by my Inner Circle Business Development Community. Each day, I take you inside a new business here on the show. I share insider business secrets with you, and I help you cut through the BS necessary to grow both personally and to grow your business revenue. Well, here's the thing. You and I only spend this hour together on the show. If you want to accelerate your growth, you need to be around people who are doing what you want to do. You need to surround yourself with people who are focused on growth, both theirs and yours. That's why I created my Inner Circle Business Development Community. This is a group of like-minded entrepreneurs and professionals who share best practices each week. As a community member, you have access to exclusive conversations with me and you can ask me questions and have me help you grow your business. Now, regardless of how I read that last paragraph, each week we have a meeting and you get to meet with me and this exclusive community of professionals. We pass referrals to each other and I have to tell you, I have a network of hundreds of lawyers and business leaders all over the world. When they ask for referrals, I only send the referrals to members of my community. Why? Because I trust them. I know I'm going to see them each week. I see these people week in and week out, and I know they're going to make my referral a priority. So if you want referrals, join the community. There's an investment associated with joining the community, but the return you receive on that investment will be at least 10 times the amount you invest. If you want to join, don't wait because your spot may already be taken. We only admit one person per profession or practice from each location. Visit joindavelorenzo.com. That's joindavelorenzo.com to find out more about our community, referrals, business growth coaching, and expanded capability. Join us now. Time is of the essence. You have to act now. Joindavelorenzo.com. You can be a member of my Inner Circle Business Development Community and have exclusive access to myself and other entrepreneurs and business leaders just like you. All right, folks. So today we have with us a very special guest. Today we're going to be talking to someone who is studying integrated marketing communications and who is doing deep research into the world of new media technologies and focusing on how new media technologies influence body image. She's also a student here in the United States, a graduate student, and she comes to us from Pakistan. She's been here in the U.S. for two years. So I'm interested in exploring having one of these necessary conversations about cultural diversity with her, as well as getting really deep into integrated marketing communications and the influence it has on young women today. Please join me in welcoming Talala Khan to the Inside BS Show. Talala, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. All right. It, it's The pleasure is all mine. I want you to do us a favor. Tell us about the journey that took you to this interview here today, starting with when you decided to come over to the United States for your graduate studies from Pakistan. How did you how did you select the United States? How did you select Florida? Tell us all about that, please. So I did my undergrad from LAMS in Pakistan, Lahore, 
And there, during my undergrad, sophomore year, I began research with my professor. He is an alumnus himself from Florida State University. So when I was, you know, sifting through different universities during senior year, because, you know, I wanted to apply, I wanted to pursue my master's in integrated marketing, because that's what I developed a knack for at undergrad. He recommended that I should also apply to Florida State University. So that's what happened. Initially, I remember um, when my undergrad did get completed, I was slacking off for a bit. But then my father, he's a very staunch educationist. He sort of pushed me and he was like, you have to go pursue your master's now. So that's what happened. I landed here and it's almost been two years. It's been an exciting, enriching journey so far. Even at Florida State, I'm involved with a couple of projects that are both sort of academia and corporate world related, which is what really interests me. And I'm working with this great professor here, Dr. Cindy Chopper, who basically you sort of um, recommended me for this show. And that's how I happened here. Thanks to your professor for recommending you. It's, it's fantastic to have you here. Talk a little bit about assimilation uh, when coming over to the United States from Pakistan, what were some of the cultural differences you experienced when you first came here? So two years ago, was that your, I should ask, was that your first trip to the U.S.? Yep. Okay, so talk about assimilating into U.S. culture. What, were, what was the biggest shock for you coming from Pakistan to the U.S.? Okay, so I'll be very candid here. Uh, this is the first time I moved out of the country to live somewhere, like, you know, for long term, like two years and stuff. So I, for the first time, I was completely on my own. And when I landed here, I thought, you know, life is going to be chill and fun, just like we all have in undergrad, right? We have a lot of fun. We have a lot of expectations from university life. But then I realized that I had to do everything on my own. I had to cook my own food, do my own laundry. And this was the first time that I was, so this was the biggest shocker for me because in Pakistan, I'd been in a very, um, I've li I'd lived a very privileged life. I'd been in a bubble. So here, so I was cooking, I literally even today, sometimes when I try to, you know, have bread and toast or whatever, I, I literally f burn four slices of bread before I can actually get a real slice. That's well, like that's edible. <laughs> so that was a real shock. All right, so you're you're just you're just like an American college. There's nothing different about what you just told me. From you could be any American kid. That is exactly what happens to American kids. They leave their mom and dad and they burn toast. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So. Talk about uh, so you uh, obviously your uh, your your family is uh, they they had the means to send you over here so your family is uh, is doing fine in Pakistan. What strikes you about American culture that makes it different from Pakistani culture? Um, I like the individualism here. So Pakistan is fairly collectivistic. The family system's very, like everyone's very strongly knit, which of course I value. I love family systems. I love the fact that people value the relationships. But there's a certain degree of individualism here that makes you focus on your own goals and towards your own ambitions and the drive to really pursue them then. So I think that is what's sort of different. I want people to, you know, have and develop more ideological orientation to navigate their, you know, um, professional compasses well so that, you know, they're just not out there 
to do a job just to get salary. It sort of serves them. It has to be self-actualizing. It has to be self-fulfilling. So that's what I like about here. I love the fact that there's so many different opportunities for creativity that may not be so because Pakistan is still in its nascent stages when it comes to, you know, the development of the professional world. So here you have so many different industries that, you know, really serve that purpose so you can be really creative with what you do you can you know do whatever you want i mean the medical students who are going to fashion and you know they're becoming bloggers and influencers so i love i love the the mix of you know so many different jobs so you can even create your own professions now so that's what i love so uh, one of the things that i tell my friends who uh don't have a lot of friends who come from other places is if you ever are feeling down about the promise of america talk to people who are from somewhere else and ask the question that i just asked you because i can feel your enthusiasm for being here and you you know you have a you've embraced the the opportunity that is in front of you and you kind of encapsulated one of the really great things about American culture. So talk to me about some of the stories you tell friends back in Pakistan. I'm sure you're in communication with them, you IM them or you chat with them uh, on a regular basis. What are some of the stories when you're talking with your friends back in Pakistan that you share about the US? So I really tell them that when I landed here, and even today, I don't understand the concept of Super Bowl. It was a completely alien concept to me. I didn't know what Super Bowl was, and I didn't know it was a huge deal. It was. A, it's still. It's such a huge deal. So I. So basically, I also TA'd a lot of classes. So I've been a teaching assistant and lab instructor as well. So I remember that uh, last year in February, they were like, we need a break, we need a holiday, please postpone our assignment. I was like, why would I postpone your assignment? They're like, the Super Bowl, don't you know? I was like, what? And then they explained it to me what the whole deal is and how people go crazy. And even during COVID right now, I mean, I see throngs of people, you know, shifting from cities, going from Tallahassee to Tampa just to attend the event. So that's what I like. I was blown away. Also, yeah, apart yeah. from that, uh, I love vacationing here. I think I, that's the best part here, that you have so many picturesque landscapes, scenic beauty. You can head down to Miami to enjoy a nice beachy vacation. You can go to Devil's Den, which is a little north of Florida. And that's the first time I've come across a cave that's so multicolored and stuff. So yeah, I, I get to explore a lot. Right, That's really interesting. Right. It's so it's so it's so nice to uh, to see uh, to hear the you know some of the uh, some of the experiences through your eyes because we some of the things we take for granted. It's, it's really it's really refreshing. Um, talk a little bit about integrated marketing communications. So you've come a very long way to study a subject that I bet a lot of people don't know too much about. Right. So share with the folks who are watching, folks who are listening to us, what is integrated marketing communications? So I'll basically begin from scratch. We've seen in the past, probably in the 90s or early 2000s, we came across, you know, we've come across advertisements in newspapers, on billboards, and on TV. Now, what is integrated marketing communication? We have digital media platforms now. You have TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So what really this like social media explosion has provided new platforms for marketing that are basically live. 
you can now you know talk to people live you can have bi-directional engagement that wasn't there so integrated marketing basically encapsulates encompasses all these different platforms including the previous ones that we were using like tv and billboards but they're no longer as relevant as social media is and now you can use these platforms for marketing purposes and not just like corporate marketing also political marketing we saw last october this September, how political marketing sort of, you know, happened all over social media, particularly due to COVID, because we could not go to in-person campaigns and rallies and stuff right here. So I think that is what the whole idea of social media marketing is that you can have metrics on social media now. So basically, previously, technology wasn't that developed. You had a billboard out there. You didn't know how many people saw that billboard, how many people looking at that billboard actually bought the product that was being advertised on that billboard, right? But now you can actually see sales conversion through social media. You can look at Instagram and see how many people have viewed that con content. What is their sentiment analysis? Do they like it? Do they do not like it? What are their reviews regarding project improvement? And it's, it's happening immediately. It's not like you have to wait a lot of time for it. It happens the moment you start posting stuff, it happens right away. So we are reaching right. niche target markets now. We're reaching broader audiences, global audiences, but also we are segmenting them even more and we're targeting you know niche markets through by analyzing their psychographics and their demographics and other information that's relevant so yeah so i um so i i actually studied in grad school integrated marketing communications and i uh graduated at a time pre-social media and so it is really interesting to me these days to see the evolution of uh, integrated marketing communications over time. And I, the way I explain it to people, I think you gave a great explanation. The way I explain it to people uh, who are familiar with politics is I tell them Barack Obama set the world on fire with his 2008 campaign because he used email marketing to do what they labeled micro-targeting. He targeted discrete markets of people with specific messages. He matched the message to the audience to make sure he hit on what they were thinking at the time. So different markets, different audiences got different messages. Well, 2008 came and went. That was what propelled him into the White House. 2012, the email marketing was already less effective. And new media like Facebook, like LinkedIn, started to become pervasive. Facebook and LinkedIn were around in 2008, but their level of influence was not to the degree it was just four years later. Now, we fast forward to 2016, and we look at what the Trump campaign did with that same concept of targeting very discreet audiences, very focused audiences with specific messages, and you see the evolution of matching the message to the audience with the appropriate delivery system to where they could not only influence people in very tightly knit pockets. I'm not saying small. I'm yeah. saying people who thought, uh, felt a certain way and thought, speci thought specific ways about specific policies. Also, the expansion of that has become the ability to influence them to believe things that have almost no basis in fact whatsoever. Absolutely. And when we hear people today talk about 
how, oh, you know, Facebook has to get better at policing its platform. This is the, it's just a measure of how influential these platforms have become. So integrated marketing communications is taking a specific audience and finding multiple ways to get your message in front of that audience, basically looking for what their journey is throughout the course of their day and dropping that message in front of them on a billboard, on a TV commercial, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, you know, in influencing a discussion they're having these days on Clubhouse, jumping into a podcast that they may listen to because you know if they've subscribed to this Facebook group or they belong to this Facebook group, they also probably listen to this podcast. So it's really micro-targeting messages to discrete audiences using multiple forms of media to have the maximum amount of influence. So we hear a lot about all the, you know, negativity, you know, oh, fake news and how, you know, integrated marketing communications has been used for nefarious purposes. Tell us about some of the good things you've seen done with integrated marketing communications. How can uh, integrated marketing communications be a force for good? Okay. First of all, when you were talking about Trump and political campaigns, another great example came to my mind that millennials and Gen Z, younger populations, will immediately relate with Kylie Jenner. She became the youngest. Kylie Jenner, billionaire, billionaire. billionaire. Yeah, billionaire. Please tell us. Yeah, billionaire. And how did she? How did she market herself? She didn't have like, you know, all those marketing teams initially, everything going on. She would just post and still she does. She says that she does not spend a lot of money on marketing. All of her marketing happens on TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, and that's in Twitter. That's what she does. Making products and marketing them in a way on social media that they go viral. Even her videos go viral. She breaks the internet every time. So it's her aura, not just, you know, marketing the product herself she's marketing herself all the kardashians they've become immediately famous global celebrities whether you whether you you know may have your disagreements with them being a celebrity or not but it is true that they've become instantly famous with the most followers on instagram and other social media platforms through integrated marketing by using these techniques that we're teaching in textbooks they applied even though she's not a college graduate so Let's let's talk. Let's talk about that. I want to talk about how you can wake up one day with a really good idea and use basically free media and influence the world. Right. Yeah. What is what what is the how would you if you were going to start a campaign like Kylie Jenner's, how would you start it? What would you do? to uh to lay out your campaign for me what would you do to have the most influence over your target audience first of all i have to create a campaign that's disruptive creativity is key unless it's creative it's not going to break through the clutter then what you have to do is heavy push marketing through all the platforms that your target audience is using now we have a lot of social media management tools analytics softwares that we can use Use those softwares, get to know at what time you ought to post something that's going to reach the maximum amount of engagement. That's what I'm going to employ. All of these uh, different techniques. I'm going to have captions that are going to be engaging to ensure that 
my followers are constantly engaged otherwise they'll just you know read it and go across she has a lot of shout outs happening she has a lot of giveaways happening she has events happening constantly i'm going to incorporate all of these different strategies to keep myself and my accounts activated so first of all it has to be created i'm going to employ twitter instagram make it if i'm you know targeting gen z i know there are certain ideologies that they're very passionate about i have to like i'm going to incorporate all of that i'm going to make it glamorous i'm going to have it very catchy i'm going to also incorporate sustainability the current movements that are on the rise that we're all you know following and obviously staunchly proponents of so yeah that's what's Great. going to be my I, recipe. I love it. That's yeah. a that, that's a that's a pretty good outline right there. You know, one of the things that I think we we touched upon, and I want to explore with you a little bit deeper, is uh, you mentioned it as disruption. I'd like to uh, I'd like to you know refer to it as kind of polarizing your audience. And the reason that we do that is because for as many people that love you or hate you. If you're creating that kind of emotional resonance, that means people will tune into your message. The people who love you are tuning in because you're speaking my language. The people who hate you are tuning in because they can't wait to hear what you say next, right? Absolutely. So the worst thing you can be, the worst thing you can be is in the middle. So talk about how that plays a role into the research you're doing on body image, for example. The love me or hate me, how does that play a role in what people are coming back for over and over again so for body image particularly now there are people who want body positivity they lo- they want to see a lot of that on social media particularly on instagram because it's a very visual medium right so i'll give you an example of victoria secret now that re- victoria secret received a lot of backlash because they said that your lingerie models are super thin they're close to being anorexic so you're not exhibiting and incorporating body positivity you should have plus sized models victoria secret still capitalized from all that backlash why because victoria secret said that we you know um we have models that are aspirational they are fantasy you can't achieve that you know that fantasy that we are creating but then again that whole havoc had been created on social media there was such an uproar that even people who had nothing to do with victoria secret were tuning into their platforms to see what the what the uproar and what the whole you know uh, hula was about so i think those strategies are very key so with controversial topics like body positivity it's not controversial but it's you know it's a new movement it's a new ideology that's going on and campaigns and brands that are not really aligning themselves with this ideology even they're benefiting from it somehow of course if people boycott those brands and don't buy them that's a different story altogether but in terms of you know the uproar that you're getting and the havoc that you're creating on social media it really does benefit you it makes you stand out from the clutter but then again a lot of brands have received a lot of positive you know reviews as well because they have incorporated plus size models they have incorporated body positivity because my research so i've been conducting this research on instagram as well as dating apps like tinder what really happens is that people when they see models or they see very um, you know fantasy sort of model kind of 
picturesque women on social media that they can't relate with, they feel bad about themselves. When they feel bad about it, they might even halt using that social media platform. And that happens a lot on um, Tinder. People develop negative self-esteem, body dissatisfaction. And then what really happens is that maybe they might not want to use that social media. But another finding that I came across in my research was that they use a lot of body morphing and editing apps then. So what really mm. happens is that these two different industries are tied together. So you look at, you know, these um, thin kind of models and perfectly beautiful, flawless skinned models and stuff on social media. But then you may not want to use that social media platform, but that's also benefiting indirectly the, the editing apps and those that kind of industry. So it's all very interlinked. Yeah, it's, uh, it it's, in, it's so interesting to me. Let's talk about being a, so being a student these days and, you know, being on those apps. Is there what 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 happens when and, and I'm, this is a legitimate question because I've been married a long time. What happens when you meet someone in real life and they look nothing like what they looked like on the app? I mean, what, what do people what, what do people think is going to happen? It's just I, I, yeah. You you stop yeah, no. believing in the app and you feel like, okay, that's not working. I mean, I thought, the, and you know, it makes you feel bad, but it makes the other, pe pe the other person feel worse. That's what it does. Sure. Because, I yeah. mean, you, you can only edit it to a certain degree, be still realistic. So if, it, that doesn't, if that doesn't work out, people quickly switch to other apps because there's so many alternatives to dating apps as well. It's, it's a huge industry. There's so many different apps. You just don't have Tinder anymore. Different apps for different ethnic groups as well. So, yeah, that's what happens. Well, one of the, one of the things we look at, and I'm sure you're looking at this now as part, of your, as part of your work, one of the things we look at is brand authenticity, right? So, and congruency, right? Consistency. Do, does the brand live up to the promise that it made? So, if I'm going on a dating app, and I find a way to airbrush all the wrinkles out of my 53 year old face, right? And then somebody meets me and instead of looking like that handsome guy, my face looks like a, you know, a, a saddlebag from a, from a horse, <laughs> right? People, they're, they're gonna say, this person isn't being authentic. This is not someone yeah. who's true to what the brand promise was. When you take it to the extreme with some of these other brands, you know, the take, for example, um, you know, supplements, you, you can take, you know, any nutraceutical supplement out there and their their claims are never going to be 100 percent what they because they're, they're so individually reactive. They're never going to be 100 percent what they say they're going to be. Yeah. So what is your counsel to individuals? who are not being true to what their personal brand is. If you were advising someone, what would you tell them to do to, uh, when they put themselves out there, for example, on a dating app? So you have to employ the path of moderation here. Of course, you're going to present the best version of yourself. That's what happens out there, not just in a dating situation, in any situation out there, be it professional or personal, but make sure it's realistic. Don't pretend to the other person that you're on the moon and when they meet you, you know, worse happens, right. obviously. Just, you know, right. of course, present yourself nicely. Of course, you can edit a little bit, 
but it should be realistic because obviously uh, the i'm you know why i'm supporting the editing although i shouldn't but the thing is the current generation is so much into it that if we completely you know sort of um ask them not to or prohibit it completely that might not be too suitable they have to adapt slowly to it so be realistic you can edit a bit take pictures with good angles present yourself nicely even with personalities you know some people uh, present themselves to be really cool uh, extroverts full of fun and adventure but when you meet them in real life you're like oh that was a facade what that what mm. what does that do that like creates like even by the way that's happened to my friends so there's a word of mouth that happens we thought that won't happen but there was a guy and he sort of you know faked a lot of stuff about his personality and the girl who met him was like uh, no he's not good the scene is very off she told her friends about him and then one of those friends through word of mouth and through like interlinked chain reaction like swiped right on him and then she realized that oh it's the same guy so his brand his brand equity lord actually so you don't know what's sure. going to happen it's a chain reaction out there we're all connected in ways that we don't even realize yeah yeah so let, let's talk a little bit about the uh the elements of a brand and how integrated marketing communications how uh, multiple forms of media can influence the different elements of a brand when so uh, it seems like a hundred years ago but it's now probably two decades ago when i was studying integrated marketing communications we spent a lot of time talking about both the rational and emotional elements of a brand right yeah and of course there was an emphasis on the emotional elements because people make decisions based upon emotion but we spent an enormous amount of time making sure that there was a logical case, there was a rational case for that brand as well, because we wanted people to be able to justify their purchases. Yeah. Have you experienced now that it's almost 90-10 emotional versus rational? Is there, do you feel like the rational is still as important or are we wasting our time justifying with logic when every purchase these days is so, every decision because of the influence of social media, every decision is so emotionally driven. What's your thoughts? So actually, <laughs> I was like recently last year conducting research on this rational and emotional and then celebrity versus social media influencer endorsements actually the rational does matter but only in product and service purchases that are that require a hefty investment that's when for instance if you're buying a car of course you have to take the rational into consideration you can't just be of course there's as humans we are very emotional beings the pathos element will always be there but when it comes to non-impulsive buyers like a car or furniture, that hefty amount, that investment calls for your gray matter to be used as well. But at the same time, you have to realize that yes, you're being rational, but you have to have that emotional click with the furniture you're buying, the design, the marketing, the craft, that's going, that needs to be emotional, like it needs to vibe with you, right? Whatever you're buying, it's mm -hmm. a representation of you. It's an extension of your brand personality. So if it's not vibing with you, you won't be interested in buying it. And that happens particularly for the younger generation. Because for us, everything has symbolic meanings. Whatever we do, we look for, you know, um, brand extension. We look for, it's all, 
like your personality is not contained within your body it's it, it's limitless it's even outside of your body whatever you do it has symbolic meanings attached to it so i guess the emotional does matter a lot so the vibe matters for the younger population so you know it's so it's funny we so we if you look at like the the phones we carry right there is uh, this is a great example so this is this is an iphone it's an older model my kids would be embarrassed if <laughs> i showed this right because it's not it's not a 12 i think it's an 8 oh my god oh yeah you showed an iphone 8 right so there are people who are apple people and they use an iphone they use a macbook pro macbook air there they use airpods that's their that that then they use it because of what it says about them then there are the other people who are like i would never use an iphone i am an android person and i use a samsung galaxy look how big this is look how much better it is and you know i use a pc and the reason i use a pc is because it's cheaper and it's easier to make modifications on even something as rational as so you know, what, what's a computer what's a, we use this to make phone calls we use this yeah. to read the news we use this to text people we use it to read our email any device can do all of that but what the device says about us is what we're what we're trying to convey you know i personally would much rather be using a blackberry which pretty much is non-existent now because it has a key it had a keyboard the keyboard was the greatest thing in the world i loved the keyboard right yeah you're laughing because who, who wants to use a blackberry i loved my blackberry i miss my blackberry but you know i had a i had to get with the times this is this is where everything was going so you know even the most rational purchases functional things like computers have a huge emotional component. So how can we not expect that to take uh, to take precedence when we're making decisions about finding a mate, who we're going to connect with, and that sort of thing? All right, so Talala, I want to get your thoughts on the use of uh, social media and any type of integrated marketing communications you want to share for helping people create movements i think some of the some of the most powerful um demonstrations of ways to use different forms of media uh together are in creating movements we i think we saw this uh you know again years ago in the arab spring where social media played such a huge part in mobilizing young people to take positions in protesting against the government. We've seen it for some not so great purposes here in the US in the, in the recent past. How do movements like that get started and how do people leverage social media and integrated marketing communications to help advance their movement? So I'll give you an example of what happened in China in 2007. Now, the Chinese government is very staunchly, strictly authoritarian. So they control all the media platforms and everything that goes on to the content that's being projected and, you know, consumed by audiences on those platforms. Even then, through the power of social media, WhatsApp messaging, riots started happening because of, you know, some environmental sustainability issues. There was a petroleum gas that was being released and there was a project that was being carried out that wasn't um, healthy for the climate and for Mother Earth. Those riots started happening in different six different cities, I think in Jiamin and uh, a couple of others in China through social media. They used Facebook, they used WhatsApp, 
they used instant messaging these cannot be controlled you can't control what happens you look at what greta thunberg did just through social mm-hmm. media she used to sit outside the sweden the swedish parliament every friday with just a banner for climate change right that you have to take this seriously through instagram and twitter just a few months later 123 countries had protests people came out with banners and protested for climate change in 123 countries just through social media that's yeah. that's how no, it no, happens it's, i mean that's, yeah. it's the power of one person to make a difference because they can connect with individuals as well as connect with connect with groups overall as a whole as a whole and how do how do you use talk about how you use uh how you use social media and uh from a from just from a personal standpoint not for you yeah. not from your for your right, research right, right, right. and does your does your um does your background having come from another country does that influence the way you use social media maybe it does because you know um social media the use of social media is very connected to the kind of social circles that you are in your friends if they are so i'll tell you i am a i'm an instagram addict i use it for 5 hours every day i have to constantly now i'm doing this interview with you but the moment it ha- like it's over i'm going to check my instagram as to what's happened constant dms and stuff happening so i was using snapchat i'm still using instagram but my friends and everyone else stopped using snapchat i immediately deleted the app i was like oh i don't want to use it personally for so me so you you just not not only did you not use it you just you just deleted it i deleted gone. it i was like gone i don't care about it and like snapchat is boring it's gone nothing's happening and then even kali jenner you know she put up a tweet saying that oh who else has deleted snapchat and snapchat lost one mm. third of its followers in millions just because of that single tweet by kylie jenner wow yeah so wow. that happens yeah yeah imagine the kind of loss that snapchat would have faced at that time so mm. now people have gone on to tiktok everyone loves tiktok i don't understand the hype of it because i personally don't use it i'm like mm, i don't know i don't trust the content maybe it's a waste of time but people are going crazy and you know what maybe i jump onto the bandwagon it's a ripple effect but right now for instagram i use it for all the latest fashion trends for brands for celebrity gossip for tabloids for politics everything i don't watch tv i have instagram with me i literally watch igtv more than i watch uh anything else and then for movies we're streaming it digitally again we're watching netflix i do netflix parties right now youtube and netflix parties that's also that's also like social media now because you're not just watching or streaming a movie you're chatting with people you're having a party going on in covid again mm. that's the inclusion of social media in my life all right so talk to me about privacy right you're um you're of a uh, obviously you're of a different generation than i am what are what are some of your concerns if if you have any at all about privacy and putting all this information out there on social media of course privacy is very important and it don'ts us at times because you know we come across all these theories and we're confused whether they're actually real or they're just conspiracy theories that you know people are tracking us governments are tracking us what's going on like particularly with tiktok and stuff so privacy matters a lot but i think our generation isn't that concerned because we've been normalized 
if you notice it we've been normalized we're still using facebook we're still using all of these and most of us i'll tell you i'll be very honest most of us don't even read the terms and conditions most of us what 99% of us i think we don't even read the terms and conditions when we download an app we're like oh whatever we'll see so of course uh but then you know when it comes to pictures being leaked and stuff that is an area of concern that my generation has and that's why snapchat came into being in the first place but right now currently as we speak there's a war going on between apple and facebook right now because apple has sort of attacked facebook for its lack of privacy and they're like that we're going to be uh, launching our own app that's going to have you know terms and conditions and that's going to ask people for their permission as to whether they allow it or not and facebook's in a very bad situation right now because that's putting it in a very bad light amongst audiences because then you know it's it's actually primarily because of apple that a lot of people who weren't really informed about the situation have now come to know about it and they're like oh you know that is an issue that you know needs to be dealt with but then again i also see where facebook is coming from because facebook you know mark zuckerberg said that if they asked for permission because you know this this is all about big data they use our data as customers and sell it and making millions out of it so if they don't like it's a trade off again it's a give and take situation if they stopped doing that they'll have to put a price on us using facebook like we'll have to pay for it maybe because you know they have to keep their financials right they're also doing a business so yeah i mean there's so many aspects you have to take into consideration here but as a consumer privacy is important do you think do you think because of because of your role because of what you're studying because of because you're also a teaching assistant do you think that you're more aware of this aspect of the fact that we are the product on social media we are the product yeah do you think it's because you're because of the research you're doing because you're a TA because you're a grad student do you think that's why you're in tune with that or do you think the average person who's of your generation understands the the privacy aspects of it um i would say of course it's giving me an edge because i'm doing you know i'm studying empirical research i'm even doing empirical research quantitative qualitative studies and you know studying it from a very different perspective where i'm more informed but i will not say that the average person is not informed i mean the average person may not have been informed 10 years ago but right now we are having you know debates on facebook constant people are debating and you put up a caption regarding privacy and all these concerns that people have and i see people who aren't even educated who may not have even you know gotten a degree from high school may have not have graduated from they have so you know woke statements to make and there are over 100 comments on that post so they are also informed they may not be as well informed but i think they're part of the debate they're more involved in the process So I think that's mm. what social media has done. It's revolutionized mindsets. It's made everyone more involved. They understand what their power is, what their voice can do. I mean normal people on TikTok, they have millions of followers. Yeah. Do you think uh do you think we as a society are are, are better off now because we know I I say this to people all the time, right? That I and what I say is, "Hey, listen. Um You know the thing about social media, and I say it about Facebook, but you could say it about TikTok, Instagram, any of these, any of these platforms. We didn't know what our neighbors thought, and you know, I'm not sure it's good that I know what my neighbor thinks now. 
absolutely. <laughs> we're better off. Mm-hmm. Are we? Are we? But what's your opinion, Talala? Are we better off knowing what people think, or were we better when we didn't know that our neighbors were racist? You're absolutely right. Ignorance is bliss sometimes because there's so much toxicity and negativity there as well that you have to shut yourself out sometimes. You're like, oh my God, I can't deal with this. Like I personally have done this as well, that I've put up a post and if there were a person or two weren't, you know, sort of in favor of my comments, I couldn't take it. Although I should, I've put up a post, I should be able to take it with sportsmanship, but I couldn't, I deleted their comments. I mean, sometimes you can't, it affects your mental health and affects your confidence as a person. So yeah i mean healthy conversations are fine but i don't want to know everything about what everyone thinks i mean if we were able to read minds i mean you know how we sometimes in games ask a question that if i gave you a superpower what would that be i used to initially when i was a child i used to say reading minds no more i don't want to read minds yeah exactly no (laughs) you really don't i don't want to yeah Um, talk about talk about your research. Have you have you used uh, the empirical data? Have you been able to uh, extract data from these platforms? And how have you used it? Uh, share with people some of the research you're doing. Okay, so basically my research involves social media. I talked about body image earlier, so I mm-hmm. won't touch upon that. Social media as well as the involvement of different ethnicities. So how different ethnic groups are involved and what are the differences in ethnic groups. Right now, the African-American millennial population is the most intense consumer population of Instagram. So that's what my researchers told me. We know how to target Mm. them now and they're very uh, strongly, you know, associated with with their culture. So they want, you know, to see advertisements. They want to see campaigns on social media that have a flavor of their culture. They want to see more inclusion of African-American, you know, models and uh, advertisers and people involved in shows and campaigns and stuff. So because otherwise they get a little, you know, uh, unhinged. So it's very important. These are the kind of aspects that I'm coming across. Then again, um, for Hispanic communities, Hispanic females who are um, in university, undergrad they their perception of the perfect body is a little more curvy as opposed to white or caucasian ones who want to be stick thin so these are the differences i've come across in social media usage and in perceptions and also to talking about my research i want to mention something else here so we're incorporating psychophysiological metrics in social media research right now in sort of gauging how strongly these advertisements are working so we're using sensors temperature detectors corrugators electrocardiogram to detect how people respond to different campaigns for instance if they see something controversial what happens to them like uh do they frown here does their heart rate increase are they responding positively or negatively and you know we've come across that if the campaign is too pushy they don't like it they don't like mm. it like physiologically we figured it out so i mean because people can lie in surveys when we conduct market surveys of course you know people sometimes just want to um answer the way we want them to answer right they want this sort of answer the way we want them to be heard or stuff but with these kind of metrics like neurophysiological metrics like you know there's very little room for error and this is very interesting the use of such metrics in social media marketing i think this is the new uh, thing this is the new thing that us marketers and researchers can get involved in it's going to re- really revolutionize Talk, the, ma- the landscape yep so 
I, I, I love that, and I want to I want to really drill down on one of the things that that you that you struck upon there. So, is there? Have you found that social media, through your research, have you found that social media makes people more insular so that on social media they surround themselves only with people who are like them so it reinforces the beliefs that they have? Or has, have you found that social media is a tool that could be used to help people broaden their horizons? Um, actually, initially, yes, it was broadening horizons. But right now, yes, you're absolutely right. There's a limit, not just with the people in terms of surrounding yourself with, but also the content you're surrounding yourself with. The algorithms on different social media platforms operate in a way that they will keep on showing me content that I've already seen and similar content to that. So I'm in a bubble. There's a visual cycle. I'm just seeing more of the same thing over and over again. And I'm not being exposed to new avenues, new kinds of discipline, new fields of content. I'm just viewing the same content regarding the same celebrity or regarding the same shows on Netflix and stuff. So it's not really broadening my vistas of, you know, uh, viewership and stuff. So yeah, that's, that's, it's your, you're so basically tweaking what you watch. So that can be negative so, as well. So for, for me as a business, that's a great thing because I can get in front of you yeah. 300 times a day in different ways if I want to. All I need to do is know what your what your tendencies are, what you what you like the most, and then I can enter that conversation hundreds of different different ways. As humans, I think that's a bad thing for us because we don't grow. There's no there's no broadening of horizons. There's no growth. I I had to start a podcast to reach out to people who are different than me in order to hear different people's points of view because I can't get that. Even if I want to to break out of that on social media, it's difficult for me to break out of that loop. I have to go out and like something that I've never seen before or something that I've never thought about uh, bringing into my life. I have to go out like that and research that dozens and dozens and dozens of times before it is incorporated into what I'm being fed. So what is your counsel as somebody who's studying this? How do we, like people who, uh, people of goodwill who want to break out of that, right? Yeah. Where I, I like Kylie Jenner, she's fine. I'll, you know, I'll look at a few of her posts yeah. and, you know, I'll like a thing or two here or there. Yeah. I'll watch a video, yeah. you know. I don't want to see her 24 7 365 right Absolutely. so how do i how do i broaden my horizons how do i break out of that right now i'd say that you'd have to make a conscious effort yourself because these platforms aren't going to do anything anytime soon or they haven't done it so far so we have to make a conscious effort ourselves to move out of that same bubble that same uh whatever landscape of you know content that we are used to we have to you know follow different and not just follow, just even in your search feed, if you come across something different, you know, try to follow that thread and try to sort of change your taste so that you're, you're well-rounded. You're not just, you know, sticking to Kylie Jenner or just sticking to James Charles or Jeffree Star. Like that's how you can, you know, augment your knowledge and your vistas. I think you have to make a conscious effort yourself right now. And even I think this helps when you're on multiple social media platforms. Do not stick to just one platform because if you're on Instagram, 
Instagram, it, there's going to be a certain kind of content that you'll be viewing the most. But if you're on Twitter, you're going to more be more aware. There's a lot of more debate going on. There are a lot more different threads. And of course, the hashtags that are trending are different from those on Instagram. So that will change, you know, that will add more flavor to what you're consuming. That will add diversity to the content. Yeah. Where, where are you, so you, you, where do you get your news from these days? Where do you, how do you figure out what's going on in the world? Where do you get news from? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. These three platforms. And you, have you, and you, I'm imagining you set up a list on Twitter and you follow certain people who are, you know, with certain news outlets. You have multiple lists. And then Instagram, how are you, so how do you receive news on Instagram? Basically just what's what's trending in different in different areas, following hashtags, that sort of thing? Absolutely, and the thing is it goes viral. Whatever's new, it goes viral. Like the Capitol Hill riots, they went viral. I came across it on Facebook. I even received an email because I think I'd subscribed to Biden. So I received an email. I came across it on Facebook. I quickly went on Twitter because I knew it's going to have more information than Facebook because Facebook's just going to have people's opinions. I went on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I followed the threads and then it started because they're all interconnected. It started coming on my Instagram naturally. So should we, as, as somebody who's in university now and as a teaching assistant, should we be teaching people to be more discerning when they're partaking in media, particularly, I'm going to call it new media, right? Social right. media, all of these, all of these forms of media. Should, should there be a class on, con on responsible media consumption? Yes, absolutely. There should be absolutely. Because if, because there's so many people, so many students out there who are, at the, who are at the receiving end of, you know, toxicity on social media, but they don't realize that they might also be at the giving end of it. We don't realize it sometimes. We internalize it naturally. I think there needs to be a class. There needs to be a course on social media consumption and usage and to inform these consumers that how all platforms, including Google, are interconnected and how you know we need to use them responsibly. Because our voice, we don't realize the power of it now. We think that it's going to be restricted to our friends, but no. Even I, I come across so many you know uh, posts and stuff that are not my friends' posts. There are other people's posts and, you know, they do change my attitude sometimes. They do affect me. They start that conversation and thought process in my head. So we don't realize if a post is triggering that process in our head. So I think we need to teach them. It's very pertinent that they understand what the landscape is all about. What are they in for? Because sometimes people just use it irresponsibly. They have, I mean, you have to value your own time as well at the end of the day. So, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's pertinent. No, I agree. All right, what's next for Talala Khan? Where, where are we going to see Talala Khan in five years? I think she's going to be in academia and the corporate world both because I think there's still a void between them. They're not perfectly bridged together. They're kind of separate. So there's, you know, the kind of research, empirical research that's happening, the interesting one that's happening in, the, in academia, that needs to be, you know, part of the corporate world and the practical implications and findings that we come across in academia, they need to be transferred to the corporate world. So it's, it's kind of symbiotic, both benefit from each other and we need more industry funding. We need companies to, you know, do their investment more in academic research, you know, so that they not only help students become future leaders, I mean, it of course helps you out. It helps both the company and, you know, stakeholders in the academia, in the academic world. Students get, right now I'm um, doing this research with Emerson Electric 
and it's helping me out it's helping them out i'm a project manager for them we're giving them data we're giving them information on how to um, have market expansion in latin america but it's also giving me an opportunity to expand my vistas of knowledge to augment my skills so i think it's it's symbiotic so i see myself um probably pursuing a phd teaching as well but as a consultant as well as a market consultant very good. Well, uh, let me tell you something. We are going to keep our eye on you, Talakan. <laughs> you are uh, certainly a star, and it, it has been a privilege having you on the show today. Thanks for sharing some of the work you're doing with us and for sharing your experience and your personal opinion. I really enjoyed meeting you, and I enjoyed speaking with you today. So thank thanks very much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I loved our conversation. Thank you. It has been my pleasure having Talala Khan with us, and she will be someone that we keep an eye on over the years because, as you can tell, she is on top of what's going on in all forms of integrated marketing communications. This is the Inside BS Show. I mean, folks, where else can you get somebody as fantastic as Talala combined with somebody who is, who knows what the, the next guest could be doing tomorrow? You have to tune in and find out. We take you inside business strategy, share all the insider business secrets with you, and get you through all the inside BS that may be bogging you down. Join us back here again tomorrow for another edition of our show. And by the way, if you're listening on iTunes right now, do me a favor. do me, Give me a review, please. It is so hard to get those iTunes reviews, and we really need them. Your iTunes reviews will propel us up to the top of the charts. If you give us a review and you take a picture of it and you send it over to me at askdaveatdelorenzo.com, that's askdaveatdelorenzo.com, I will send you something. The first 10 people that do a review and cite this show with Talala Khan, I'll send you a copy of my book, The 60 Second Sale. You'll get a $25 book absolutely free. Just send me a picture of the review you've done. Send it to askdaveatdelorenzo.com. My friends, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.